Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together here in this place this morning, Lord. I pray that you have already begun to prepare our hearts for what it is that you would like to speak to us about today, Lord. Uh, I thank you that we could come here freely, open up our Bibles, and uh, worship you, Lord, in, in song and in prayer and in Bible study. So, Lord, take this time now. Lord, take this time um, and speak to each one of us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I actually want to start this morning, you don't have to turn here, but I want to, t- I want to start this morning with um, an illustration that Jesus used in the book of Matthew um, in chapter 6 when he was giving what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he, he gets all the way kind of to the end of it. And he gives this example. I'm just going to read it. He says, uh, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The reason I bring this up is it's a reminder to us on where are we building our house? Or let me put it this way. What is your life built upon? Is your life built upon the words of Jesus Christ, which he akins to the rock, the solid rock, the foundation? Or is your life built on the sand? He gives you those two options. It's either on the rock of Jesus' words or it's the sand of everything else. And it's like if your life is built on the rock of Jesus Christ, the words, the things that he's just said that he says in his word, then when things come along that aren't great, the rains come, the floods rise up, the winds blow, your life will stand firm. However, if your life is built on the sand, when these same things happen, it says that there will be a great fall. Now, what is sand, really? I mean, honestly, if you've ever taken a walk on the beach, sometimes that sand is really firm. Have you ever noticed? I mean, some places it's kind of sandy and it's hard to run on, but in other places, that can get really packed down and can seem really firm. It can even have a few rocks in it. But when that wind comes and when that rain falls and when that tide rushes in, it doesn't matter how firm that sand feels or how many rocks you've got mixed in with that sand, that water is just going to wash out your foundation and your house will fall. Jesus says that you're either on the rock of my word or you're on the sand. And you might think, well... I'm not sure I agree with everything that the Bible teaches. I mean, some of it just seems so old-fashioned. Well, Paul will write to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, 3.16, all scripture, he says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction 
in righteousness. So, Paul says, how much of the scripture is inspired by God? All. So, you could do a little word study in the Greek and look up the word all and find out that it means all. It means all. So, when you start to say, well, I, I know I like these parts. I'm not so sure about these old-fashioned-y parts, these prudish parts, these parts that seem hard to accept. I'm not sure. Really what you're saying is, um, I think I'm better at deciding which parts of the word are good and which ones aren't. Right? So it's like, you know what, God? I know you said all, but, I mean, you don't live in 2022 where I do, and, you know, and things are changing. And, and that's exactly what Jesus was warning about. Things will change. Things will come in and out of your life through the popular culture or notions or opinions that will come in and say, well, I know this didn't seem to be good, but now it is good, and now it's not just good, and now we're going to celebrate this, or this is completely normal. And Jesus would say, you're standing on maybe firmly packed sand, but still sand. As a Christian, we say, I believe the word of God. In fact, I stand on the word of God. Here, I'll tell you a little, here's a secret. When you come into this church, you're standing on the word of God. In fact, you're actually standing on the word of God because when we built this church, before we put the carpet down, we came in and wrote scripture verse all over the floor. So, ha <laughs> When you come in here, you're standing on the word of God, but it's because it's important to us to be able to say, I stand on the word of God. Well, why is that so important? Well, it actually makes it so much easier in my life because when all these popular notions come in and out of my life, I don't have to try and figure out what's right and wrong. I just have to say, what does the Bible say? And I may not like it all the time, but what does the Bible say? Because Paul says, all of this is inspired by God and there's purpose. That's good purpose in it, all of it. Now you're wondering, oh man, what is it we're going to talk about today that you had to be prepped? Maybe it was just a reminder. Well, Ephesians has been a pretty amazing uh, letter to study from Paul the first three chapters, this is how great God is, and, and this is how great he has been to you. Sit and learn. Sit and listen, Paul says. Sit here and listen to all the amazing things about God and who he is in, and what he has done for you. And then four through six, now get up and walk in, the, in these ways. And the first one, you know, we talked about, we, we kind of looked at this last, last, well, two weeks ago. Um, unity, walk in unity. Remember he says, uh, look, look in chapter four, just flip over, chapter four, uh, verse four. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. He says, walk in unity with one another. Then the kind of the second part of chapter four is that whole put off, put on kind of comparison that, that Jeff and I have spent the two weeks talking to you about. There's a reason, right? There's a reason why we covered that so much. Because God is like, y'all really need this. And not you all necessarily specifically, but maybe. But he said, people need to know this. The put off, put on. The thing is, um, you know, and, and we kind of use the example because it's easy to understand, like, 
take off the garments of the old man, but then put on the garments of the new man. If all you do is take off, then you're completely exposed and vulnerable. You have to put on the new man. For some reason, though, we tend to, once we've put off the old man, the old garments, hold on to those. The implication here is not just put it off, but get rid of it. Burn it if you have to. Because what we do is we took, oh, oh, this is gross. I had him putting off the old man. We put it over there and we put on the new man. By the way, Jeff, it's button when you stand up, unbutton when you sit down. Okay, just so you know, I'm watching. (laughs) Put on the new one, but get rid of the old one. Because what happens is we're just like, oh, well, you know what? I'm just going to put it in my closet there and it's there. And then every once in a while, we look at it. And why is it that we save that? Why would we save the old man? Why would we do that? Does anybody know? Memories. <laughs> like the corner of my mind. Misty watercolor. So it's, they're there, and we're like, well, you know, honestly, sometimes that old garment worked for me. Sometimes it worked. Like I, when I used to get really angry and throw a fit, people did what I wanted them to do. So I'm just going to hold on to the anger part in case I need it later. And Paul would say, but if you do that, you're giving place to the devil. And he doesn't need much, gang. He doesn't need much place in your life. You know, I remember... Um, when I lived in New York, there would be um, in the subway tunnels these um, like kind of like billboard, you know, not drive-by billboards, but like walk-past billboards. And, and when they were done with the old ad, they would paste a new one over top of it, right? Now, what would happen is like the little bitty corner would be just sticking up a little bit. And because people are how they are, they, you, you know, people would sit and they'd pick at it a little bit and they'd pick it at it a little more. So just a little bit of it was sticking up. And pretty soon someone would come along and just rip off a piece of it, partially exposing the old ad underneath it. That's what the devil does. He only needs a little bit. Only needs a little bit. He only needs that little garment left in your closet from the old man to say, remember that? Remember how good that fit? Remember how good it felt? It didn't feel good, but in your mind you start thinking, that did feel good. When I, got, when I threw a fit, people listened to me. But you're giving place to the devil. Inevitably, what will happen is that he'll get a hold of that, and pretty soon you're going to be fully clothed in that. You're going to actually put off the new and put back on the old. Do you guys remember the story of Nineveh? Somehow Jonah keeps coming back up in these sermons. I'm not sure why. I just really like that story, I guess. You know, God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them that if they don't repent of their evil ways, that they're going to you know, you know, destroy the whole city. And Jonah didn't want to go because he knew that if they did, God would save them, and he didn't want them to be saved. But ultimately he goes, you know, there's a boat and a whale and all that stuff. You know that. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. As a result of Jonah walking into Nineveh and being like, God says, repent, or he's going to destroy you, and I'm out of here. The entire city repents. Now, you know what that tells me, first of all? It has nothing to do with the power of the messenger. It's all about the message. 
Nineveh repents and God spares the city. 88 years later, Nahum writes about Nineveh. In just 88 years, just three generations, Nineveh has become so wicked that Nahum refers to it as a city full of blood, full of sin and robbery, he calls it. And God ultimately destroys Nineveh. I can't help to think that in their repentance, there was some of that old man left in their closet that they gave place to the devil. And he took advantage of that so much so that they were worse now than when they were before. We got to put off and not put off, get rid of. Here's the other thing, right? We're supposed to put on all these amazing things, right? Paul describes the outfit of a, a saint He says, words that edify, that build up people. We're supposed to be without bitterness, without wrath, without anger, without evil speaking or malice. We're supposed to be kind, merciful, and forgiving. All of that stuff. Imagine if you have this whole new outfit on. That one won't fit over this one anyway. If you've got the new one on. Problem is, we take this one off to put that one on. Get rid of that one. Say, I'm done with malice. I'm done with clamor. <laughs> Remember clamor? <laughs> Anger and wrath. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. What if someone hurts my feelings? <laughs> Do you know what I read this week? Do you know what I read as, uh, in Proverbs 29, 11? You know what it says? A fool vents all his feelings. A wise man keeps them in. What? <laughs> That's so countercultural. We're supposed to express our feelings. Everyone needs to know how I feel all the time. The Bible says, if you're a fool, but a wise man holds them in. Does that mean like I have to be like all pent up and I'm like, ah, I'm going to explode? No, Jesus says, lay them at my feet. I can handle it. I can handle it. Give it to me. But you know what he's going to say? Don't vent to me. Tell me and then forgive them. Remember that? Right there, 32, the, the last verse of chapter 4, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. Even as Christ forgave you, how did that happen? You didn't ask for it, and you didn't deserve it, actually, but Christ forgave you. Someone hurts your feelings, you don't have to go and tell them they hurt your feelings, you forgive them. You move on. You don't have to vent all your feelings. It says, keep them in. <laughs> well, give them to God, really. Give them to God. So let's go. Chapter five. I'm telling you right now, we're not getting through this whole thing. (laughs) Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. You mean create my own world and establish myself as the absolute power and dominion over everything that I survey? Finally, something I can get behind in the Bible. Hmm. No, no, that's, that's not it. You see, the word imitator in Greek, it does mean, it's like where we get the word mimic, um, which is like to copy, I suppose. Do you know the word mimeograph? Uh, what do you immediately think of when I say mimeograph? Right? So most of you are over 50. Yeah. <laughs> All right, not Eric. Eric, it used to be, (laughs) 
It used to be a mimeograph. You know, we didn't have copy machines back then. Teachers would handwrite their papers and then stick a page on it and then run it through this thing, and it would come out on the other side, this like light purple blue, you remember? And the chemicals that created that copy smelled so good. <laughs> and you would get a handout and you'd be like, can handle this class now. It was a bad copy. It was pale in comparison to the copy. So it's not that. It's not mimic God. Don't be a, a, like a pale, stinky copy. The word mimic also is translated, and if you have a King James Bible, it's in there, follower. So therefore, be a follower of God. As dear children. You know, as dear children, let me break that down a little bit for you. Dear literally just means beloved by God. That's within, this, within the Greek language and the context of this verse, dear means beloved by God. And children, although it is the Greek word technon, which means child, within the context of this section of scripture in this verse, it actually has a much broader or bigger meaning. It means anyone living in full dependence on the heavenly father, relying on him in glad submission. That's a lot of words for that one word, but I'll read it again. Child here is in reference to anyone living in full dependence of the heavenly father, relying on him in glad submission. So now let me give you the Aaron alternate version of that verse. So, as one who is beloved by God and living in full dependence and glad submission to him, follow him. Follow him. Not be a bad, stinky copy. Follow. Did you know that you cannot follow someone and go in a completely different direction than they're going? Did you know that? If, if, if God is like, come on, follow me, and he goes this way, and you're like, I'm going to follow, and you go this way, that's called not following. Oh, well, he says, follow me, which means go where I go, do the things that I do, say the things that I say. Love is what he's going to say in the way that I love. Well, which way is God going? Look in verse 2. Walk in love. Remember the word walk means go in a direction. What direction do we go in? We go in the direction of love. What does that mean? We've talked about this over and over again. The word love here is agape, which is godly, spiritual, supernatural, selfless love that as a human being, you are incapable of doing without the Holy Spirit. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit, which means you have the ability to love selflessly, which means you take the focus off of yourself and what you want and what you desire, and you put it on those around you above yourself. He says, walk in this way. Now, that's going to make a lot of sense as we go on to these next verses, because this is amazing because, you know, at the 11 o'clock, all the kids will be in here. And, you know, I love when God gives me all the sexual chapters on family church day. It's very creative in my language, but for you, you're just going to get it full on. 
walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling aroma. Do you see that says that Christ gave himself for you, but it doesn't actually mean just that. He, in Greek, it says he gave himself in place of you. Christ, because he loved you and put you before himself, gave himself instead of you or in place of you. You were the one who was born with sin, not him. But he put himself in your place and in my place so that I would not have to suffer and die as he did. He did that for me. He did that for you because he loves you selflessly, supernaturally. And God says, if you're going to follow me, love, walk in love, do that. Put others before yourself. Now look at when he says this, he says, but, firstly, but fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. This whole section right here, this whole verse, fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness. Fornication is pretty, pretty straightforward, but uncleanness and covetousness can mean other things, but within the context of this, it all has to do with sexual immorality. All of verse three has to do with sexual immorality. So what he's saying is fornication is the Bible's way of saying sex outside of God's plan for marriage, husband and wife. Anything outside of that, any kind of sexual relationship outside of a relationship between a man and a woman in marriage is called fornication in the Bible. And God says, it will not even be named among you. Not, you know, don't do it that often or kind of keep it, you know, to yourself. It says, not even named among you. And all uncleanness in this context it's just lust. Lust. So he says, look, I have given you the gift of sexuality, but I've also put parameters around it to say this is how it is to be used, and only this way, and he says, between a man and a woman who are joined together as one flesh in marriage, only that way. Any other way isn't just against God's word, but he says it's going to be damaging to you it will be damaging to you because he says that a man and a woman come together and join together in one flesh. Now, now, if you come together and you're not joined in marriage as one flesh, every time you come together, there's a tearing apart and it is never a clean break. There is always some of this person left on that person and vice versa. And imagine it over and over and over again. And it's, you, you, parts of you are going out and you're being stuck with parts of all different people. If, you, you know, if you're involved in lots of different relationships and God says, look, I know this to be true. I'm not telling you because I'm a prude. God is not prudish. God is saying it is this way for a reason so that this gift of sexuality will be a gift to you and not a burden or a, an issue or even a disease that might kill you. Then he says all uncleanness. See, uncleanness is, in this case, lust. So it's like, well, um, like I'm not doing that. Look, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, my girlfriend and I, we don't go all the way. We just blank, blank, blank. And God says, but it's lust. 
it's, it's saying, and, and covetousness is, is saying, you have something that I want that I don't have, just in general. But it means the same thing here. It's saying, look, I look at you and I say, well, you've got something that I want. I don't have it. I want it. I'm lusting after you. I want that thing that you have. And you know, we all know what that thing is we're talking about right now. You have it. I want it. Me saying that has, not, has nothing to do with how I feel about you beyond lust. What you're saying is, I don't love you enough to marry you, but I'm lusting enough after you that I want to, you know, wink, wink. That's for the 11. That's how I'm going to do it. (laughs) He says, if it's not a sexual relationship that you're in, but you're lusting after that, you're saying, like, let's, let me just put it this way, gang. If you're in a relationship with somebody that you're not married to, and that person is kind of pressuring you to, you know, in, to, to sleep with them, they don't love you, or else they would say, no, I'm either going to, we should get married, or they're saying, look, you have what I want. What do I have to say to you to get it? He's saying, as a believer, that should not even be named among you. Not even be named among you. He says, none of this stuff is fitting. Again, it's a very, uh, a kind of a neat tie into the garment. He's saying, none of that should fit you as a believer. You should, if you try it on, you should put it off immediately. Like, nope, this doesn't fit. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. When you go into like a clothing store, and you say, well, I'm definitely still a 32. <laughs> and you get these pants, and, and it says slim fit also, by the way. And you're just like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. And you're like, <laughs> you just, you know what, you can only suck it in so far. <laughs> and then you get it buckled, and you're walking around like this, you know. And I'm not a huge fan of the of the of the tight, what do they call those? Skinny jeans. As I feel like I'm wearing like a leotard or something. <laughs> and where do you put your wallet? Du- dudes. You would never go in, I hope, and put on such tight pants that just don't fit you and say, I'm keeping them. <laughs> These things are not fitting for you. Leave them behind and go forward. He goes on and there's more. There's more. Oh, by the way, I just have a note down here. I must have been thinking about this. Do you know, you remember in the story when Jesus comes across the woman that they drag out who was caught in the act of adultery? You know, you know, adultery is a sexual act with someone who's married or you're married. One of, the, one of the two, right? And they drag her out caught in the very act. Just her, by the way. She's caught in the very act. There was somebody else involved there. I think you know how that works. Where's that guy? Uh, they drag her out caught in the very act. And you know what? They're, they're going to stone her. And, you know, Jesus does the thing where he, he stops them. He writes something down into the dirt. Um, we don't know what that is. Maybe it is... Where's the guy? Question mark. He says, you know, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. And then eventually it says that they leave. And, I, you know, interestingly, 
it says that it started with the oldest guy first, and it went from the oldest to the youngest, because the oldest guy was like, oh, I'm old, I've, sl- I've sinned a lot, <laughs> drops his rock and goes. As the young guys are like, <laughs> and then everyone's gone, and they're like, okay, so they go. Jesus says to her, woman, where are those who condemn you? And she says, they're all gone. There are none, she says. And he says, neither do I condemn you. But what does he say? Go and sin no more. Jesus says, a sexual relationship that is with someone other than your husband or your wife, sin. Sin. There's no way around that. In verse 4, he says, And neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather give thanks. So he's going on now, not just the act of sex outside of marriage, not just the lusting after someone sexually outside of marriage, and not just the, what was the other one? Uh, um, covetousness and, and, and uh, um, uncleanness. Not just those things, but then he goes on and he says, again, this is all within this like kind of sexual realm, right? Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. Coarse jesting, Dirty jokes, dirty jokes. You know, uh, filthiness is that, that idea of, you know, um, we're, we're like bombarded with it constantly. There, there is just nothing that you can watch that is, doesn't have innuendo or coarse jesting or jokes or, or filthiness. Do you know, I just wrote a note that says filthiness is sticky. Don't you think? Do you know that there are days that I can't remember why I went from this room to that room. But I can remember every single dirty joke and song from when I was in junior high school, every single word. Every word of those songs stuck in there because filthiness is sticky. And you know what he says here? He says, um, he's talking about neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, It's not just don't tell dirty jokes. It's also don't allow them to be told to you because it will stick to you and it gets in there. Look, I wasn't a big dirty joke teller. I'm actually the king of clean jokes. But here's a sample. How do you make an egg roll? You roll it down a hill. Yeah. But if someone comes to you and says, uh, oh, I got this really great joke, shouldn't we at that point say, is this a dirty joke or is this a clean joke? Because I don't need that being poured into my mind. It's sticky. You know what? You know what a, uh, you know what a dirty joke in your mind is? It's that little corner of that ad that Satan needs to get a place just to grab a hold of it. You know, and he pulls it back in my mind. And once again, I'm singing that dirty song from when I was in junior high. Every single word of it. I wish I could flush that stuff out. You know, I wish I could. And if I was talking to my youth group right here, I would say, avoid it now so that it doesn't build up in your mind so that he doesn't have something to grab a hold of when you're 40 years old. And when it's so hard, it's all around us. It is, it is, it's all around us. But are you helpless? 
Do we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, giving us power? Do we say, like, Lord, would you help me to, like, avoid this? I used to have a friend who worked in Times Square, and uh, he was an illustrator for uh, an animation company, and the way he would walk to his um, office, he had to go through and see all these billboards. And there was a lot of, um, unbelievably, actually, like, like Victoria's Secret billboards, like bill, like this is like 50 foot tall women in underwear pictures, right? And he was like, I had to find another route to get to my office because it was just too much. You know, that filth is sticky. That's all I'm saying. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting. Don't just use it. Don't use it. Don't allow it to be used in yourself, so someone says, oh, what are you, you don't want to hear my jokes? What are you, too good for me? I say, I'm not too good for you. I just don't want that in my mind. You know what? That person's going to walk away thinking something. What's up with that person? What a jerk. But some, at some point, when they're in need, they're going to come back and be like, I, yeah, you're religious, right? Would you pray for... He says in verse 5, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's, That's heavy. That's heavy. He's saying that, well, this is what God said to me. I hate sin. God says, I hate sin. Does God hate sinners? No. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners. But he hates sin. He says, I've reserved my judgment and my wrath for sin. But if you choose to cling to what he calls is sin, then you will ultimately be subject to to his wrath. Now, I'm not talking about the person who is a believer who, who has, uh, falls into temptation. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've accepted the fact that he's forgiven you. You can then go to him when you trespass, when you sin and say, Lord, forgive me and restore our fellowship. I'm talking about the person who says what God says is sin is not sin. He says, there is no place for the person who does that because what you've done is you've rejected his truth and said, your truth isn't true. My truth is true. What if I was to say to you that I have hooked up every one of these chairs to the electrical system in this church? And when I step on this pedal, every one of these chairs is going to explode what would you do? <laughs> uh, besides that, Alice, <clears throat> if you believed me, if you believed what I was saying was true, you would get up out of your chair. If you didn't believe me, you might say, no, I'm good. I don't believe what you're saying. I'm going to stay right here. Or you might say, well, I kind of believe this. It's possible that it might be true, but it's too comfortable in this wonderful chair. 
And then what would happen? Well, I would walk over, and as the Bible says, there is a day that's coming of judgment, and, and God's wrath will be poured out. And I would step on this pedal, and the chairs would explode. Now, if you were clinging to it, you would be subject to that wrath. But if you believe me, you would say, I'm getting up. If you believe Jesus died for your sin, then you're saved. But if you say, I don't believe any of that, and whatever the Bible says is sin, I don't buy any of it. I can decide for myself. He says, there is no room for the person who says, what God says is sin, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. But here's the really amazing part. If that is you, and if you are sitting there and you're saying, I don't buy any of that, like, I don't believe that at all. You know, I get to make up my own. I'm God in my own life because look at right there. He says, who is an idolater? That means that what you say is what you believe and what you think is the thing that you're putting in place of God. That's an idolatry. Remember, idolatry isn't just statues that you bow down to. Idolatry is I'm putting God in uh, something else in place of God. If your own belief about what sin is, is in place of what God says sin is, then he says you're an idolater. But God is so loving and so compassionate and so righteous that he says, but you have a chance right up until your very last breath to accept and believe that Jesus died for your sin right up until your last breath. But that is amazing compassion. <clears throat> he says in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. The, the, the phrase sons of disobedience is one who is not persuaded by the truth. You either believe that Jesus died for your sins or you don't believe and that's the difference. Right? You may not be a follower of Jesus Christ, and I am. Do we both sin? We do. We do. The difference is, my sin prevents me from being in close relationship with Jesus Christ, and it is forgivable every single time I come. But when I die, I go into eternal glory with God, and, and I will stand before God, and he will see me through his son Jesus as perfect. But if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you also will go and stand before God, but you will be judged on your own righteousness of which you have none. And that's the difference. Are we both wretches? Uh-huh. We're both wretches. Do we both fail? We, still, we sure do. But I'm trying to put on the new man and get rid of the old man. What are you doing? Do not part, be partakers with them, he says. For you, he's talking to believers now, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see, he says you were, you know what he doesn't say? You were in darkness. He says you were darkness. When you, you added to the darkness is really what he's saying is you were darkness. Wherever you were, you added more darkness. You were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk this. So remember we had walk in unity. Now he's saying walk in purity. And this is how you do it. 
Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Do you know what you are really? If you're, if you're a believer, you are a flashlight. That is what you are. You're a flashlight. The light that comes from you comes within you, but you're not generating the light. The light comes from the Holy Spirit that lives within you. You're the vessel in which it is in, so that when you go into a dark space, you illuminate through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? If you take the batteries out of a flashlight, does it light up anything? It's just a metal case. Right? When you put the power inside that flashlight and you click that button and that light comes out, it's coming from within and it's illuminating the path for everyone else around. Because this is what we are. It's like saying, be a flashlight. Be a flashlight. For it is shameful. If for it is shameful, lost my place. Thank you. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We're going to end there. Because communion today, too. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. I thank you for this just this one section of this chapter of Ephesians, a reminder that, Lord, yes, we need to put off the old man, but Lord, we need to get rid of it and put on the new man. Lord, taking the focus off of ourselves, looking out to those around us, Lord. I pray that we would be strong enough, Lord, to be able to resist These things, Lord, that you've listed out, this unfilthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, Lord, even at the risk of being made fun of by our friends, Lord, but you know where the power comes from? It's from the Holy Spirit, Lord. So give us the power, Lord, to be able to do this through your Holy Spirit who is within us. Lord, I thank you so much. I pray for anybody here today that just does not have this relationship with, Lord, they have never believed that Jesus died for their sins. Lord, I pray that right now, Right now, Lord, that they would be feeling the conviction, the weight of the Holy Spirit saying, just believe and you can be forgiven, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
Well, when Jesus had gathered them all together, he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this bread is my body that's broken for you. Take this and eat it. Let's do that together. And he picked up that third cup, that cup of redemption, and he said, this is my blood which has been poured out for the remission of sins. And he reminds us that every time that we take this, we proclaim his death. Well, let's take that. When Paul records that, he says, you proclaim his death until he comes. Jesus himself says, that fourth cup that you're so used to taking is reserved until I return back and bring you all back to me. What an amazing promise that is. If one thing I know about Jesus is he is a promise keeper. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, don't, uh, don't forget the cards. Um, take those home you have until you can bring them in on the 18th um, or sooner if you want. Bring them next Sunday if you want. Also, um, two, uh, Christmas is coming up Christmas Eve at 6. Christmas Day, which is Sunday. I know. Did you know that there's actually, you know, like we at one point considered maybe we shouldn't do church on Christmas Day. And I thought, but it's Sunday. Of course we're going to do church on Sunday on Christmas Day, but we're going to do a one-time, like, 10 o'clock service. So um, either get up and uh, have Christmas breakfast and, and open up all your presents and then come to church or sleep late, come to church, then go home and do the whole thing or do whatever, but I'll see you here at 10 o'clock on Christmas Day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, Yes, thank you. Um, I don't know how some of you know and some of you don't. Um, Radomir, Betty and Radomir, who you sometimes see helping set up and everything, Radomir had a heart attack last night. Um, although he is in very good spirits and denies that he had one, although his heart enzymes are like 1,000 instead of like 50. Uh, so um, they did transfer him downtown to the hospital, and he's under a doctor's care, and they're watching him. Um, but uh, we want to pray for him right now. We want to pray for Betty's peace of mind as well. So just pray with me. Heavenly Father, right now, we just place uh, Radimir right into your hands, Lord. Um, I thank you so much, uh, Lord, that you brought it to their attention last night that they could get to the hospital. Lord, I thank you that you've made him so strong, Lord, that he was able to uh, live through it. Um, Lord, I pray for Betty uh, and for her peace of mind. Lord, would you just comfort her? Um, would you please direct the hands of the doctors to know exactly what their next steps are, Lord? And please, Lord, let them know that they're being held up and covered in prayer right now. We thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, they weren't like rushed in the ambulance. They just kind of drove to the hospital. You know, if you don't know Rad, he's like a tree trunk of a guy. <laughs> anyway, we want to make sure to remember and keep them in our prayers. Um, we're going to sing one last song and in, in, in and worship. So let's all stand up and uh, let's sing uh, praises to our God in recognition of how amazing he is and how amazing this time of year is, especially as we celebrate my birthday. I mean Jesus' birthday. Jesus' birthday, not mine. God, God bless you guys. Bye-bye.